Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. If you have never listened before, where have you been? Uh, we've had this podcast going for the better part of, well, actually past three years now. And uh, it's been fun for me. We get to talk about some, some dirt bikes. That's horrible grammar. We get to talk about motocross and supercross racing. Yeah, that sounds better. And I get to share my thoughts on what I saw. I get to go to all these races. And when I, get to, when I say I get to go, I truly mean that. Um, yes. There are times when I feel burnout, and this weekend I had a pretty rough uh, return travel trip. So that wasn't ideal, uh, but I have to kind of put it in perspective and realize that most people would kill to go to all of these events, and sometimes it's just going to be more difficult than others. Uh, but I am in the fortunate position of going to these races, getting to see things firsthand, getting to visit all of these wonderful cities and stadiums and watch this sport that we all love. Before we talk about what we saw in East Rutherford, which is New Jersey, which most people would just say is New York City, because you can literally see New York City from your hotel, from the stadium, like it's right in the shadow of it. So if you want to, and I think Steve Mathis may have made a comment or Weege or somebody, no, Weege actually made a comment. It's like, if you're freaking out about us calling it New Jersey uh, or not calling it, you know, calling it New York and not New Jersey, whatever, like, trust me, Everything about this race screams New York. The teams that play in this stadium are the New York Giants and the New York Jets, right? So bear with us on that. Uh, but it is a, a great time and a great opportunity to visit uh, New York City. Even if you don't like the city, there's there's something that is just special about that place. And no, I don't think I could live there, but I do enjoy getting to visit and check things out. Before we jump into that, as I was going to mention before I got off tangent. Uh, Pirelli Tires, I want to thank them, the title sponsor of this podcast and has been since inception. They have a rebate going on. You can get $30 off an off-road set of tires or $60 off a set of street tires. And all you have to do is go into your local dealer, fill out the rebate form, mail it in, and boom, bang, bingo, you get your rebate back. So it's a really cool program going on with Pirelli and their authorized dealers. Guts Racing, they offer seat covers for power sports and e-bikes like the Saron. Uh, they have complete sets for Kawasaki's, complete seat sets for Kawasaki's. That's that's a newer uh, product offering that they have. They also do graphics. They're a sponsor of Rockstar Husqvarna, amongst other teams. So they have anything you need covered for seats, seat covers, graphics, etc. Great company. Uh, they're at Guts Racing. Obviously, they're expanding, as I mentioned, into the e-bike market. So that should be uh, that should be exciting for them. Plum Creek Funding. If you've been following along, and longtime listeners of this show will know that I've been talking about rates, uh, the Federal Reserve, and how what their impact is, 
the housing market, when we should be looking at buying. Like there, there's a lot happening there and I've tried to keep you abreast of it and explain the underlying dynamics and, and the fundamentals that are driving a lot of this stuff. Now we're at, uh, I, don't, I wanna say, I don't know how many years high on mortgage rates, but a long time, right? We're approaching rates we haven't seen since post uh, GFC or great financial crisis. I myself purchased house, you know, houses in the sixes and sevens. And then luckily I got de- back down to the fives. Uh, but this is, we're back there again. And if you look at it historically, it's not so bad. But if you're looking short term and you weren't around for those incredibly high rates, you're, yeah, this is, this looks awful. And the, your buying power comparatively to two or three years ago is terrible. The same house that, your mortgage rate was X is probably two X now just because of the interest rates. And that's, that's the power of being able to buy something when interest rates are low and it's, it's not free money, but it's, it's darn close. So if you have questions on these things, you want to ask about, okay, maybe you have to buy a house. Maybe your family's expanding, which that's great news. Uh, Maybe you're selling a house or relocating for work or whatever. To me, you just want to have the best advice possible. And Zach Morris of Plum Creek Funding, they are uh, licensed in several states, including Texas, Nevada, California, um, all over the Southwest. I think Arizona as well. I should, I should know these things. But they have uh, lots of uh, people they can speak with in other states too. If, they're, if you are in a state that they're not licensed in, he can connect you with someone. And at least just answer your questions. And that's what I always recommend is just getting the best advice possible on what your individual situation looks like and then you can custom tailor a plan so you're you're not gonna spend more money than you have to that's the name of the game right speaking of that work connection is was on board from the very beginning and thank you to eric and the team at works connection for for being with me through all this uh they have their brand new yamaha footbag mounts that chris Kiefer helped develop and that really changes the triangle like the rider triangle and your and the positioning and your uh, your body English on the motorcycle through these Yamaha foot peg mounts. It totally relocates where you stand on the foot pegs. They also have the Pro Launch Start Device. Great product from Works Connection. And you can get you can use that promo code that they set up, JT23, to save yourself some money on anything at Works Connection. Pro Glow Wash, Power Sports Formulated Wash. Ryan and the team down in Shreveport, Louisiana, came up with this amazing product that helps you get off that hard-to-remove dirt grime chain lube, all the things you're going to, you're going to encounter on a power sports, whether it's side by side, dirt bike, quad street bike, I don't care what it is. Provo was formulated for it. Fast Foundry, Robert Carrico and the team, they are all about business. And if you have a virtual event, a real life event, you need help with your accounting, you're looking at your books, you're looking at your entire overall program and saying, man, I just don't know where we can be more efficient. Well, guess what? You need to call the professionals. You need to call Fast Foundry. So reach out to Robert and the team at fastfoundry.com and see what they can do for you. International Vet MX Series, they can be found at oldtimersmx.com. And their next event is going to be at Hangtown. It's the end of April. So if you are wanting to go to Hangtown, if you've never been, maybe you're wanting to get a little warm up before the big national weekend there. That's a great opportunity for it. And you're going to get a ton of track time. It's a really fun weekend. They have live music, giveaways. Um, it's just a, a much more laid back atmosphere than like an amateur national. And you're going to get a lot more track time. And you're probably going to enjoy your weekend quite a bit more. So go check out 
the International Vet MX Series. You know, they really cater to the 30 and up crowd, business professionals that just want to go race and have a good time and get a ton of track time. That's what they do. So that, that event is the last weekend in April. Uh, this, so it's coming up, right? This, uh, what, this weekend coming up is it at Hangtown. So not a lot of time to waste, but a great opportunity to, uh, to get out and do some racing. TL Speed Shop, Jason Cobb and the crew have a really cool side-by-side experience business down there. And you can fly in, find a Phoenix. I don't know if they can pick you up, maybe. But either way, Wickenburg is just up the road. You get there and everything else is taken care of. You can do Sedona tours. You can do wine tasting. You can do Baja. You can do whatever you want. And it's all in side-by-sides and you're ripping across the desert. He sent me a ton of pictures and videos on this stuff. And it's just unbelievable the uh, the views and the experience that are capable. So check out TL Speed Shop. And uh, yeah, maybe your next vacation can be in Arizona. Grandstone boots. Definitely want to mention them. I wore them last night. Just stepped out to get a bite of dinner, and uh, man, they have taken such good care of me. I have most of their collection now, so I can really custom tailor the look I want and business meetings and all kinds of stuff. So if you're looking for boots, low top, high top, they have brand new sneakers, four new colors of sneakers, so you don't have to wear boots, right? If you just want something a little bit more casual, which is really coming handy for me, uh, check out GrantStoneShoes.com and at GrantStone on Instagram. And fly racing, I'm at the office right now. Uh, And yeah, we're working on all kinds of great stuff. We have some really cool announcements coming. I can't talk about them right now. Uh, But yeah, that's what my every day is kind of full of right now is preparing for these big announcements and new products we have coming this summer. So really cool times, really exciting things on the horizon for fly racing. Okay, thank you to everyone for, for listening through those sponsors. I know that's not why you're here, but I wanna make sure that they get their due. Now, what did we see in East Rutherford? saw a lot of mud in the main events, uh, but up until then, it was just such a great day. The weather was awesome. It was sunny. It was, I don't know, 65. It was beautiful. And for someone like me who has been stuck in the winter of Boise, which has been the wettest, coldest winter I since I've been here anyway, I'm over it. Like, I am so done with any weather like that. So it was such a godsend to have a couple of days of really nice weather. And then... All of a sudden, we didn't anymore, and the rain came in, and the lightning, and it was like a Florida summer for like two or three hours. So really big contrast there. We did know weather was expected. I just didn't think it was going to be like that. I don't think anybody expected that level of weather to roll in, and it was just – it was calm, and maybe if it would have been light out, we could have seen it. But you know how it is. You're in the dark. You don't really know. It's just dry. Everybody's in in the moment watching the races. Like everything's going pretty well. And then all of a sudden I hear some like mumbling about, Hey, weather's coming. Like maybe there's going to be some rain. And then it just deteriorates really fast. Like I I saw a few lightning strikes on the horizon and then, yeah, you just see people funneling out. You hear them come over the intercom and say, everybody's got to get to shelter. So I'm kind of looking around going, man, this, this is not good. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this. And of course I hadn't. So um, I made the executive decision to go to the hotel because I looked at the radar and saw a serious weather band coming. And what that told me is that they had already pushed the fans out of the stadium, pulled the riders into the tunnels. And I saw that th- that band hadn't even arrived yet. And knowing there are like radiuses that have to be met before, you know, once the last lightning strike is has to be outside of that radius. 
it was going to be a while. I knew we were looking at a couple hours of delay here. So I made the executive decision to go to the hotel and watch this race from the hotel. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I don't really care. Um, you know, like Steve Mathis and, and these guys stayed. Good for them. I, I understand why. I totally get it. But for me, I wasn't working with the television crew that particular weekend, and I didn't really have any responsibilities left at the stadium. My work for the day was done. So, yeah, I took advantage of that opportunity, got out of there before it started raining, and beat the traffic out of there and was, yeah, it was nice and dry at the hotel, got an adult beverage, and watched both main events. Um, I didn't have to deal with any mud or water or traffic or anything. Uh, so that was nice. I'm glad I made that decision. I would do it again. But I did miss, I'm sure I did miss some things. I missed, you know, Max Anstey's win in fly racing apparel. That, I, you know, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, and what an effort by him, right? Like, how does he pull that off? I Well, I shouldn't say that because I think we all looked at it and said, yeah, this mud gives him a great opportunity. But to me, I think the most interesting part of it was the mental side. Because if you, like I said, if you look at it and you're looking at the mud and if you followed Max Nancy's career, you know, you will know he is a terrific mud rider. So looking at in that lens, you're like, yeah, he could win here for sure. He could win. But to me, the mental side where he gains all that confidence and goes and grabs a hole shot, which he hasn't really done much of this year. That, to me, speaks to how mental this sport is because he knew if he got out front, he could win. Well, that like manifested itself into a hole shot, and then he's off to the races. So it's just crazy how that kind of goes. And I think there's something subconscious there where if you're like, man, I don't know, not very good in the mud, this is not, this is not what I signed up for at all, that typically is not going to translate to a great start. You're just going to be not be as have as much conviction on that start where if you're like, this is my moment, like I have to capitalize right now, just like I think Justin Barsha did, just like I think Max Anstey did, you are so locked in and laser focused on the task at hand because you realize the opportunity that's at your fingertips. And yeah, there's just something to be said for that. It's a really understated and underappreciated aspect of this sport. So great job. Best interview in the sport, and he gets the win. Jet Lawrence, to his credit, almost got the win. He almost passed Max on the last lap. But to me, it's it's so interesting because Jet is so well-rounded, right? He's still only 19, which is talked about all the time. But he's great in the mud. He's great in the dry. He's great on a 250. We are pretty sure he's going to be great on a 450. He's great. He's a great interview. He's a good-looking kid. I don't know, like, where is the miss here? Like, there has to be... There has to be something we don't know. Like, is he secretly an axe murderer or something? Like, I just don't know where the fault lies in this kid because he has so much going for him and so talented and his future is brighter than a supernova. Like, I don't even, I don't have the right vocabulary to describe how much this kid has going for him. So it's not a bad thing. Congrats to him. Uh, he didn't win, as we know, but... I think we all know where this trajectory is headed for him, like career-wise, 450-wise, future-wise. Uh, it's really hard to make a case that he doesn't have the brightest future of anyone in, in anyone anyone in the sport worldwide. I don't care who you want, whose name you want to bring up. I will put Jet Lawrence's name right next to it and say, "Yep, I'm good here." And that includes Chase Sexton and whoever else. I think Sexton 
could be in that conversation too, but I'll take Jet and just go along for the ride. Uh, RJ Hampshire, I have as third in my notes, but he should have been third in the race and he blew it. Listen, I know he's going for it. Like that's the immediate answer is like, I, I saw a shot and I took it. Well, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit more thoughtful and, you know, I'm trying to think of the right phrasing here. Um, but just simply going for it in bravado is not always the best course of action. If if you're looking at it and you're like, man, there's a chance I could get him, but I'm going to have to risk my entire finish to do it. Like instead of if you're okay, if you're looking at the situation, it's like, okay, if I make this move, dang, I'm not. If I don't get him, I'm still going to get third. Okay, no problem. But if you're, if this move is so desperate and so and and includes so much risk that if you don't get it. You slide 50 yards, or maybe not that far, 50 feet across the track in the water, and then you can't pick your bike up, your bike won't start, and you don't even get a podium anymore. That's not worth the risk. And that's easy for me to say. It's easy to to say that in hindsight, knowing how it was going to play out. But I think for RJ at this point of his career where he is a veteran and has been in this class for a really long time, and you know how important podiums are, and you fought so hard for 12 minutes plus a lap to stay in third and do all these things, you have to be a better judge of the situation than that. You have to be gauging, can I really pull this off or is this going to be a really stupid move? Because how I view it is that the odds of him pulling this off were very, very, very low. And on top of that, if he pulled it off, he probably takes Jet out in the process, which isn't isn't great. Maybe RJ didn't care about that. Maybe he was willing to have that be a, an outcome, but you don't want to just blast the guy. I don't think he dislikes Jet. Jet's been, I don't think Jet's been anything other than courteous to him. I think they respect each other, but you have to know coming in there that hot and not being able to really break, you're not going to be in control. And Jet has no idea that you're going to do this kamikaze mission up the inside. So it was just a bad idea all the way around. And I guess really the only justice here was that RJ paid the biggest price. Like if you're going to pull a move that has that small of a chance of success, maybe you should pay the price or or, I don't don't like using the word pay a price, but maybe that was the um, correct and deserved outcome. If you're going to, if you're going to put that much risk on the table, really, in my opinion, for no reason, because the chance of it working was almost nil. Okay, last guy in the, in the 250 class I'm going to talk about, Hunter Lawrence. Uh, he came in pretty banged up, and uh, when I heard about the injury, I was like, okay, he's just going to salvage what he can get. Thankfully for him, it was a third because of RJ's crash, so I'm sure he was happy with that. Like, if you, for him coming in, knowing he wasn't at 100%, if you told him, hey, weather's going to go to hell, it's going to be a terrible, terrible evening, you're going to have these delays and all this stuff, will you take a third? I think he would. I really do. Because you look at the championship, it's all but over. Um, he's going to beat the nearest rival, which is Hayden Deegan. Maybe he's like, no, man, I want to win. I, I wanna, but I, I don't think so. I don't think that would be the, the smart choice. I think you would just take the third risk-free and move on. So in that lens, under that guise, um, I think it was an okay night. He'll probably be your champion leaving Nashville, by the way, right? It's very unlikely that he will not leave uh, with the championship this coming weekend. And that's the big picture that that's what this is all about. Winning race is great. Podiums. Cool. 
championships are what count for these guys, uh, especially when you have, you know, a 45 point lead going in. That is all that you're trying to worry about is protecting this lead. So for those of you who haven't listened very often on this podcast, we do what's called the power rankings and they are an overall view of the season, a little bit of last season, a little bit of recent, you know, last week, this week type thing, but it's kind of where I gauge riders in the sport and it is 450 only. So I don't have jet or any of those guys in here though. When they move up, they'll have their opportunity to be here, but it gives me talking points. I can kind of jump off of each one and give you my thoughts on them. Uh, but yeah, you get to see how people are trending throughout the season as well. So without further ado, let's jump into it with number 10. And I will have some honorable mentions after we get all the way through these. But at number 10, I have Dean Wilson. And much like many of the other riders in the, in the field, he was up further, made a mistake, dropped back. And if you look at like the lap chart of these guys, it was all over the, all over the place. Benny Bloss was up in fourth, then he was way back. Uh, so it was kind of a mess. And I think everybody could write a paragraph about, well, I was doing really good. And then I wasn't, or I was way back and then I moved forward. And, you know, it was just that kind of a chaotic race. So it was funny. I was reading Dean's caption. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what everybody was saying is like, I was up and then I was down and then I was forward and then I was back. And then I, you know, I couldn't hold on to my bike anymore. It's like the, the same story from each guy over and over and over. Uh, Justin Hill, incredible day from him. He was so fast all day. And for those of you who kind of just tuned in at night and maybe you had things going on during the day, you would have missed all that. But he was near the top of the board all afternoon in qualifying. Like he was just on fire. And I think it was a combination of a really hard packed, dry, crusty track, which he excels on. And just him getting better week in and week out. You got to remember, he took two full years off. So for him, he's still working his way back into this thing. He's I think finally got his sea legs underneath him and he's starting to kind of push a little bit instead of just trying to get through the main events. And you can see that you can really see his form coming back to, uh, to what it once was. Number eight, I have Adam Cincerello and he did not race. Uh, let's put that on the front end. He crashed into Justin Barsha. It was totally not AC's fault. Barsha made a gigantic mistake in front of him and AC landed right into him. Did a huge front flip, kind of like a scorpion move. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh my gosh, he just hurt his knee or knees doing that. I don't know what was sore. I don't know if that was actually the case, but it was a really scary crash uh, watching in the moment and on the replays. So I hope he's okay. I hope he's back for uh, for Nashville, but that was not, that did not look like a fun crash, especially for someone long and lanky and also has a history of knee injuries. Like that was, that was not good. Number seven, I have Aaron Plessinger and same thing. He did not race either. He had a huge crash uh, in practice. I either the untimed session or the first qualifying. It was a first untimed session. There was like a roller out of the first corner and then a three up. And I don't know if he went over the bars or what happened, but he was sprawled out. And I guess he was coughing up blood, took a huge hit to the chest, and they held him out because of that. I thought he was going to race. I thought he was going to come back in the final session, but he did not. So I would fully expect to see him at uh, Nashville. After taking a few few days off, um, I don't think it was anything serious. I just think anytime you're coughing up blood, they're going to take precautions. And I think they decided it was the, the most prudent course of action to hold him out. Number six is Jason Anderson. And I don't know what we make of this, right? He's kind of falling apart a little bit. Um, it's not terrible per se, but if you look at his results, they're not good. You know, he crashed this weekend in the mud. He 
pulled out of Atlanta completely because of exhaustion due to having his first child. And it just has not been the year he was looking for. Um, I thought he would be a championship contender. I really did. And if you look at 2022, he won seven races. He won the last four races in a row. So why would you not think he was going to be a factor coming into this season? So it's been a lot of inconsistency, uh, mistakes, weird races. And I don't know if he finds a way to win one of these things. You know, Arlington was a great opportunity. He wasn't able to get it done, you know, crashes and little things here and there. He did win one of the uh, the three uh, individual races. But that elusive seasonal race win uh, hasn't happened. It just has not panned out. And this has not been the year he was looking for. I can promise you that. No matter what else, this was not exactly what he was looking for. At number five, I have Ken Roxon. And... Kenny's impressed me. He really has. That's two podiums in a row. You know, most seasons we see him really start to deteriorate down the stretch, and it doesn't seem like that's happening to him this year, so that's great. Um, you know, it's a long season ahead as far as pro motocross and all those things, but he looks good for now. He looks much more comfortable on the motorcycle than he did, say, what, you know, maybe two months ago. His confidence is there. He's getting good starts. Uh, he looked really good in time qualifying on Saturday. Like, he was pulling off sections first. Like, he jumped this kind of roll three section, and it's really hard to explain without uh, showing it to you, but it was a very kind of creative line that nobody else, and then when he did it, other people started doing it, but to see him innovate like that is, uh, that's, yeah, it's kind of Renaissance Kenny, so it's cool to have him back and, and back in a big way, and again, two podiums in a row. Number four was your winner, Justin Barsha. He was the best rider in the main event. He deserved to win. No question, but I still hated the pass he made, you know, and I, we talked about this on the race review pod a little bit. I'm not saying that he needs to be burned at the stake for this move. I'm not saying that it was the dirtiest move I've seen this year or in the last month. I'm just saying for a rider who has a reputation of making questionable, if not straight up dirty moves, and also one who has kind of been poking the bear a little bit saying, look how clean I've been. Look, you know, I'm not making, I'm doing, not doing any of those things. Well, you were doing it this weekend, right? And the, the pass on Sexton on the first lap was deliberate, right? He just takes cuts across the side of a jump to block Sexton. So you don't have to call it dirty. I don't care. Uh, but it was, it was questionable. And then the, the second pass on Sexton a lap later, or maybe half a lap later, Sexton goes down. And so that's two moves within the course of a lap where you have really like that, that was not an organic line on the double where Barsha cut across. Like that's not the, the way the racetrack goes. Like nobody can say, yeah, no problem. That's just, you know, it's a, just a block pass. No, no, you don't just cut into the rut sideways on the face of a jump and everything's fine. The second pass, I don't think he meant to knock him down. He turned pretty low. Uh, but unfortunately, Sexton couldn't stop, and he ran into his rear wheel. Um, it was still aggressive, and after the first one, you kind of have to look at it a little bit sideways. Now, after that, Barsha was on fire. He went and passed Roxon, aggressive move again, Didn't nobody crashed, and then just got to the lead and got it done. Now, to me, Barsha just looks at these moves differently than someone like myself does, and that's okay. Like I don't like dirty riding. I hated it when I raced. I don't like it now. I don't think it's necessary. Like you don't see Tomac doing things like that. You don't see Roxon doing things like that. You don't see Jet Lawrence really doing things like that. So to me, it's just an unnecessary aspect of racing that can really hurt other people's careers and, and individual races. And 
it doesn't really reflect on you very well either. I don't think anybody likes you because you're a dirty rider. So to me, it's, it's just an unnecessary part of racing that I, I'm not a huge fan of. To each their own, though. Some people don't care at all about what I think in that aspect. They think it's just another part of racing. That's fine. I, I respect that opinion. I just have my own. I have my own opinion. and I, I don't personally love it. Um, next up, Chase Sexton. And I think Sexton probably wins if Barsha doesn't make that move on the first lap, that cut across the jump move. So in that light, if you want to say that was the right move by Barsha, okay. I, I don't, like, again, you already know my opinion on the move. But if you are a Barsha fan or you are Justin Barsha, you're like, hey, I had to get him at all costs because if I let him get out front, I probably can't do much about it. I understand. I probably agree. So take that for what it is. Um, I think Sexton lost a huge opportunity there because if you look at it, if he wins, let's say he gets away and he wins, Barsha's second, Tomac third, he makes up another five or yeah, another five on Tomac and a ton of points on Webb, right? This, this championship is still firmly Tomac's to win, but it changes the race for second. And it, it certainly changes Sexton's approach to winning the title overall. Um, so yeah, Sexton lost a big opportunity there, but yeah, you have to be aware, right? If you, if Barsha's anywhere near you, you have to expect the unexpected. That's rule number one, because he's going to give you everything you want and more. If you think he's going to be clean with you, if you think he's going to not take a shot at any opening, then you're fooling yourself. So there's, there's that side of the equation too, is know your customer, know who you're racing against. And if it happens to be Justin Barsha, your guard better be up. That's just all there is to it. Cooper Webb is number two. And I think he really missed a great opportunity here. Um, you know, after, especially when Tomac was laying on the ground, I'm like, oh my gosh, Webb, this is, this is your moment. Like you have your, the championship rival is laid out. I don't even know if he can walk. And Sexton is a bunch of points down and you have this awesome chance to take the points lead here. And he didn't do any of those things. Not only did he not get the points lead, he lost points to Tomac somehow. He didn't beat Sexton. And now he's 11 points down. So yes, I think you can point to the mud and say that really hurt him. Right, He had all these reasons to be optimistic going into the night show because of Tomac. And you know I think he's been working on the bike a lot. But not only did it not go his way, it went completely the opposite. So that had to be an incredibly frustrating end result after what looked to be a huge crack in Tomac's armory there. Um, so I don't know how you come back from this. I mean, maybe you just have to forget about the championship and go – go for broke to win races. Like there's that. Um, I don't really think that's really Webb's MO. Like he doesn't really think that way. Like he's still going to be making smart decisions, but the the fact of the matter is here, he's got to win. Like there's just no other way to really put it. He's got to go win and take this, take over the series. Like he has to um, there, you know, he has ridden himself out of any other possible outcome. Glendale wasn't very good. Atlanta, what you know, he beat Tomac, but it still wasn't very good. And then this weekend was even worse. So that that's just the reality of it. I'm sure he knows that. I'm not breaking news to him, uh, but it's going to be a really tough ask. Number one, of course, is your defending champ. He is your defending pro motocross champ, and he is your current points leader, and that is Eli Tomac. 
we all saw the replay. I saw it live, but we all, we also saw the replay of him, his hand coming off in practice. He crashes. He's laying on the ground, and everybody that was not wearing orange or red was holding their breath. And somehow he got up. Somehow he still got second in the race, and somehow he extended his points lead. So kudos to him for overcoming adversity. I'm sure there was just a full-blown panic for the Yamaha team for about 30 minutes before they figured out if he would be okay or not. But I'll tell you when I knew he was going to be okay is he grabbed the whole shot in the last qualifying practice and led everybody around. And I'm like, you, as a racer, knowing this all, all too well, you don't do that unless you're okay-ish, right? If he's like, I don't know if I can hold onto the bike. I'm not sure how injured I am. You certainly don't go for the whole shot on this fake start. That's just not what you do because you don't even know if you can hold on. So you're not going to put yourself in more danger. What you would do is you would take off slowly, ride around, start doing a couple of doubles and feel it out. And as it feels okay and you start testing it more and more, you start picking up the pace, start, you know, you maybe hit the whoops then. And then, yeah, if, if that everything goes to plan, then you start trying to go your normal pace. But to me, as soon as he ripped off the gate and goes in the first turn and just starts blowing through the rhythm sections and, and ripping off laps, I'm like, ah, he's, he's going to be okay. Now, is he going to win? I don't know. But that was a really reassuring signal that it wasn't some sort of serious injury. And that was the worry is it was a serious injury where he would be held out of the night at minimum, maybe longer. And then you just kiss the championship goodbye, right? All the hard work and all the great races uh, would just be for naught. That is not how it went though. And now he has an 11 point lead. So the honorable mentions, uh, I have Colt Nichols who did not have a good race, but he is coming off a great race in Atlanta and uh, he's been looking pretty solid as of late. I have Josh Hill who has really impressed me. Um, this wasn't his best race. Atlanta, he battled for, I don't know, 18 minutes with Nichols and Dino. Came out on the losing end of it, but it, just such an incredible ride from him all day really in Atlanta. I'm just really impressed by you know, if you watched him at the first couple of races of the year, you'd be like, eh, still Josh Hill. Like, maybe he'll make the main. Maybe he won't. Um, that's not who he is right now. Like, he is much, much better than that. And uh, so kudos to him because that just comes with hard work. There's no way to fake that. You can see the effort that he's put in behind the scenes. Kevin Moran's seventh place in the main event. You can say what you want about him. You can say that his start at Detroit was idiotic. I did. Uh, but... For him to get seventh in the mud at New Jersey, is that's a great job. That is a really, really strong performance. It's something he'll never forget. I promise you, as long as he lives, he will never forget that main event in New Jersey. It's just how it goes. Like it's, That will likely be his best ever finish. I'm not saying it. You know, Maybe there's a chance he betters it at some point. I, I understand. But it's a, there's a very strong chance that'll be his best result ever. And he just it's something he won't ever forget. And then the last uh, is Shane McElrath. He got uh, sixth in the main event. Great job from him. Of course, yes, the mud was a, a big factor there, but it's part of racing. Mud is a factor at every race. Like, unless you're in a dome, you're always thinking about what happens if it rains. And you either step up and make the most of it, or you don't. And Shane McElrath did, getting a sixth. So that's it for this week. Thank you again to all the sponsors. Uh, Pirelli, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection. Fast Foundry, International Vet MX Series, TL Speed Shop, Pro Glow, Grandstone, and Fly Racing. Next week, we'll be, we will be back. We will be on the uh, other side of Nashville. And for those of you who have never been to Nashville, what a great town that is. It's exploded 
there's so many people there and so much to do. Um, it's just, you know, it, everybody calls it Nash Vegas now because it is really kind of an entertainment center. Um, so I'm looking forward to going there. Obviously, there'll be a lot of work involved. The weather is going to be another factor. If we get a mutter, I would not be shocked at all. So be prepared to turn on your uh, Peacock app or television on Saturday afternoon and see wet weather. That's just a, a very likely scenario, which, which will suck. If we get another mud race, that will suck. Uh, but maybe it adds some some uh, championship excitement or some drama. Either way, I'll be there. Going to enjoy it. Going to make the most of it. And I will be coming to you. Hopefully, I'll get back to you on Sunday. I've been trying to get these out on Sunday afternoons. But my 14-hour travel day back from New Jersey uh, disallowed that. It was just hell on earth, for lack of a better term. Uh, but, yeah, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to the sponsors. And if you have suggestions, things you'd like to hear, questions, um, you can always email me, email me at jason36 at AOL.com. You can DM me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Uh, but I love hearing back from you guys. Um, I kind of have this format in place, but that it's that's why I started this podcast was to be able to change it. I can do whatever I want with the format. I have such great sponsors. They don't care, right? Um, so we can mix it up. We can do kind of whatever we want. I still want to do a silly season podcast. Some of you have been asking about that. But I've been trying to let things shake out a little bit because literally nothing's happened. Um, I have a little bit, like 5% more insight than I did, say, a month ago. But there's still a lot of moving pieces. Like, there, you know, a couple of things have developed. But a lot of the biggest pieces that will determine wherever, what everybody else does are have still yet to fall. So that's what I've been waiting on. I haven't forgotten about it. I just want to be able to give you the most insightful uh, podcast possible. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again and see you.